2: Welcome, I'm your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. And on this show, we'll be turning up the psychological perspective on many life issues. To do this, I want to include you in the conversation. This is Psych Up Live. I welcome you to listen in and call in with questions and comments to today's show at 1 866 472 5788. You know, there are few people who don't melt at the sight of a new baby or delight in the laughter of children even more so than when when they're your own children. Today we're going to talk about a way to keep that magic alive and growing for both the parent and the child. In this episode, Dr. Ed Haas is going to draw upon his own joy of parenting and his expertise in many, many areas to share a philosophy of parenting that he describes in his new book, Transformative Parenting. The empathic Empowering Approach to Optimal Parenting and Personal Growth. And just to give you a glimpse of it, I'm quoting Dr. Haas. He says, a parent brings the technical knowledge and emotional sensitivity necessary for survival, and their child shows them how to live in freedom, joy, and spontaneity. Now, Dr. Haas is a psychiatrist, but he actually has quite a background. This What I'm going to describe, read now, these are his words. My philosophy of parenting integrates a broad background. I've worked as a dishwasher, stockbroker, financial analyst, computer consultant, outreach worker, early intervention coordinator. I've given Kung Fu demonstrations in China, celebrated Mass with Pope John Paul, meditated in India and Nepal, He's done quite a bit. And after becoming a psychiatrist and studying Jungian psychoanalysis, it was the birth of my daughter that confronted me with the awesome responsibility of shaping a human psyche. And that's where we pick up, and that was the root of unfolding transformative parenting. Dr. Ed Haas, we can't wait to hear you, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live.
3: Oh, thank you so much, Susanna. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me
2: okay, so i'm I just know that the listeners are wanting to know from you what is transformative parenting?
3: Well, every time I describe it, it comes out a little bit differently. I guess <laughs> what um, uh, what I can say or what feels right now is that it's it's kind of a state of mind that you it's a relational state of mind that you have with your child, uh, an infant or toddler. Where you are discovering the world with them and and supporting them as they explore the world, and I think by doing that, by, by getting in that place, uh, it 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 allows your child to have uh, to feel comfortable and secure and empowered, and at the same time, it opens uh, up uh, the parent to recognizing their own sort of limitations and hang-ups and, and being able to work through them to sort of rediscover the world and and have a more open uh, state of mind and, and awareness of, of the universe around them and their their own uh, power in the universe that they, they've they been uh, sort of uh, conditioned uh, uh, not to have. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's sort of uh, a bit of a nutshell. I was... It's, of course, okay. I wrote the whole book, and it's hard, but let's see where we take it from here. What's
2: okay. Your, so, your? basic to this is your belief, and, and I actually love this idea, that children are enlightened. In a way, we have at times kind of lost that enlightenment. Mm-hmm. When you say that, Ed, what exactly do you mean? Give, it, give us a picture so we can mm-hmm. picture it as parents.
3: Sure. Well, as, as adults, I mean, through our process of being uh, taught as children, I believe we've sort of um developed a kind of tunnel vision. We've we've been taught this rule, that rule, this is how the world is, that's how the world is. This is allowable behavior, this is not allowable behavior. Um and we've been shaped uh, even so far as to beliefs about ourselves. We're good at this, we're not good at that. We we're good at math, we don't like math. We you know, these kinds of things. In large part, uh, have been thrust upon us these beliefs uh, through experiences we've had, things people have told us uh, all through life, and so we we now find ourselves as adults with a certain outlook on life and and uh, beliefs about ourselves and about how the world is, um, and and what's uh, and so when we talk about enlightenment, uh, people who've sort of gone into Uh, that study or thought about it it's it's about getting rid of those uh, those uh, uh, thoughts those conditioning uh, thoughts that sort of shape our worldview and to open ourselves up to re-experiencing and sort re-evaluating the world uh, fresh uh, without Mm -hmm. those kind of preconceived ideas Um, because sometimes I mean often you know the world changes I mean that's that's the thing about the world everything changes and so We've been taught certain things that may or may not have been true when we were five or ten or, you know, five minutes ago, but the world changes. and then, uh, and, But we, we carry on with these sort of uh, concrete beliefs about the world and reality um, when, in fact, they may not be correct. And, and we may be limiting ourselves uh, and what we can do, our, our feelings of power, and misjudging other people. Uh, based on uh, those old uh, beliefs that may or may not be true, mm. um, may never have been true. Maybe they were true for your parents, or maybe you were, they were true for your grandparents, and they were taught to your parents, and your parents taught them to you, and and now you believe them. But you know they may or not be may or may not be true. And and so what children bring is a fresh view. You know they come into the world fresh. There's no. You know, preconceived ideas. They're ready to explore anything, do anything uh, without uh, fear, without feeling self-conscious. And I think if you know what what happens is, if we attune ourselves to our child uh, as they're exploring the world in this sort of fresh new way, we we can partake in that, and we can we can see the world through their eyes as this broad, open space where where we have a, a, a you know power to do uh, amazing things um where we wouldn't be otherwise able to and, then, and i think this is sort of where you know children uh, are enlightened because they don't have these thought patterns these conditioning uh things that that get in the way of our fresh perception of the world and the universe around us and and this is what people who are seeking enlightenment uh, are aiming for and uh you know you you, you I mean, we can talk a little bit about that process um, if you like, but I just that gives a picture, I think, of what I
2: mm, right. what I
3: think with ch- kids. Yeah.
2: Well, one one thing that you said in your book that fits in with that 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 I really um, resonated with is as adults, so we worry about. The uh, future. We we regret the past. We're in that we're in that kind of head, but children live in the moment. They're like already experts in mindfulness, mm-hmm. and and so they are filled. If you see, people will say, "Oh, I loved seeing the beach through my little one's eyes," or "I loved seeing Disney through his eyes," or mm-hmm. so they're filled. These little ones with optimism and boundless possibility. Mm-hmm. If in fact, all along the way, someone follow their lead, and I, I think this is what you, you talk about, you know, uh, us sort of being disciples, because if you really think about it, and any of us who have studied um, the importance of the early formative years, we know that if from the earliest days that baby is attuned to and feels safe and wanted and loved, you know, to, to literally use your words, mm-hmm. there's a sense of power. And happiness, a willingness to take risks—that little person faces the world like, this is wonderful because they mm-hmm. come from a place where someone resonated with their spirit, and I think that's a big piece of what the first steps of your your program and your mm-hmm. philosophy involve.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, you have, you've hit it exactly. So, I mean, if we can. If we can reach in there and be with them at those earliest moments, I mean, we we first of all do them such a wonderful favor by setting the stage, the foundational beliefs about the universe. This is a place where I have power, where I can feel secure, I can explore freely, um, and, and and so we help them in that sense. i you know, funny. I remember when I was, uh, I guess, Gabriel sorry, my child, my little girl was. Uh, uh, you know maybe maybe a year old and she was sort of toddling around in the restaurant and she was cruising around and you know not bothering anybody i was with her walk as she walked around the restaurant and the lady next to me said you know she 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 believes she owns the restaurant and i said <laughs> I said right, and she said that 's the way it should be and I said, yes. Yes. and I just that's yes, exactly right so um but so that 's it, so first of all, we set the stage for them, and also we 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 realize again that some of these things, these sort of cautions that we 've been done you know children shouldn 't be you know, seen, they should sit still. They need to be, you know, quiet. We should sit still. We should be quiet. We should, um, you know, uh, not not take assertion and sort of and and whenever anybody looks at us kind of funny, we should we should kowtow and and so these kinds of things can you know we can learn from them and 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 it is a very empowering process both for the for the child and the parent when they mm. you know, this is done so. Well,
2: one yeah. of the things that, that really has helped my doctoral students when we've talked about why does this early attunement make sense? Um, and if you think about it, if the baby or the little one is cold and someone's attuned to that and they, they put a blanket on or a sweater mm-hmm. or they they are sleepy but, of course, they're not lying down and someone holds them until they're able to, the fact that some a little one has gone from being very dysregulated to being regulated by a parent who's attuned means eventually internally they'll have a structure Well, they'll be able to regulate themselves because someone Got it, and it's not that they'll be dependent on you forever, but that attunement of following their guide um, really becomes the infrastructure of what we later see as the ability to regulate anxiety and depression and life's traumas, etc. So, this attunement mm-hmm. is really so vital.
3: Mm-hmm. I think you know, if, if as much as that skill can be developed. You know, and it's a, it's a it's a big part of you know it's a major part of transformative parenting is this attunement piece and the impact it has on the child uh, from the early age as you as you well describe and uh, a very important uh, piece and um, and so a lot of the book is about you know how do you develop that attunement or, or at least a good piece of it and and uh, you know other people have done uh, good work with that in terms of you know. Uh, body language and 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 eye you know movements and how you how you follow your child um, so that you do know what they what they want and and uh, and you can be attuned to them and help them uh, feel empowered because I think you're right the, the if you give it to them early um, they they they. Um, Get it later. I think if you if you're, you try to force a certain regimen on a child who's uh, you know not going that way, you teach them frustration. Really, you teach them that there's something wrong with me. That or there's something wrong with the world. And if you can you know help them feel comfortable with themselves, comfortable with the world, um, it makes it makes it much easier later on when they're when they're verbal and they can understand things and sort of be. And you can, you can talk with them and, and help them understand the world. And they don't have to feel um, uh, that there's something wrong with them if the world is, is uh, you know, not fitting in with what they want at the moment. Because they'll understand the difference and they'll feel, have a certain security within themselves that allows them to transition more easily uh, down the road to, to something that maybe they don't want to do right away. But they understand that you know, in the long run they'll be okay and the world is okay and they'll be, they're fine.
2: Well, well, that's where the question came in that a mother raised. She said, well, this is really great, except when a two-year-old wants to run in a parking lot and refuses to hold your hand mm-hmm. or refu- takes the food that's in the plate and just throws it, mm-hmm. um, then it's hard to be attuned. And how would we not show them... You can't, you can't run in a parking lot. So at what point do we change this, or how do we deal with danger, rules mm-hmm. that the outside world imposes? What, what would we say to that?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I think the first step is to understand that uh, it, well, the first piece is not to get angry. Because I think what, what anger represents is a sort of false belief in the parent that the child is doing this somehow to get back at them. That there's a you know there's a there's a um, you know some malicious intent that the child has to not do what you tell them, and so I think that you know the first step is to sort of learn to control your anger because it's it's misplaced. The child is is simply doing uh, the best they can to sort out how do I discover how do I make my way in the world. Um, you know, and they're exploring and your child is running across this, the the parking lot is doing something totally natural. They're exploring. I mean, they're, they're running, they're feeling empowered and they want to go, go for it. And maybe they want to play a game with you and let's play tag. And they go run in the, run in the street. And it's not a malicious thing. It's not that they're, you know, a bad kid. Anything's wrong with them. Even they're just, you know, they're just being themselves. And, 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 And so part of it is what I tell people and what I, you know, a spouse is just being attentive to your kid. Your kid, your child um, can do a lot more if you are right there with your child. So if your uh, child runs across the street and you're attentive, you'll know if there's a car there or not. If you can run across the street with your child and whether you have to be angry with them. I mean, you don't have to be angry with them, but whether you have to grab them and pull them back or whether you can just run after them and pick them up and carry them back. Um, You know, you don't have to be angry about it. You just kind of, you know, you may have to prepare yourself to, you know, harness your child and bring them back to the sidewalk and tell them, you know, in a, you know, calm way, no, you can't, you know, you always have to hold your hand mommy's hand or when you're when you're in the parking lot, that's a rule. And, you know, you can explain because there might be cars coming and you can't see them. Even though they can't understand the fact that you're taking the time to explain to them, they understand that there's something, there's a reason for it, even if they can't okay. understand the reason. So, um, uh, and that, that helps, I think, even when a child's pre-verbal and they can't really follow your reasoning, you taking the time to explain it to them also explains it to yourself. Um, you know, maybe you can, you know, if you're with the child, you can run across this, you know, the parking lot. I mean, it's, you know, if there's something exciting over there to see that, the, you know, your child wants to explore. Now, if you're really... and. But, you know, part of this is you have to be an attentive parent. You have to let go of, um, you know, I'm going to focus on my cell phone or I've got, you know, Facebook postings to keep up with or, you know, talking on the phone with somebody else. I mean, part of being a transformative parent is to be, is to attend to your child and be in this connected state. And you can't be in this connected state if you're doing something else.
2: I'm going to stop you right there, and we're Mm -hmm. going to pick it up on the other side. I also want to ask you on the other side of what happens when we scream no out of our own panic, which I did plenty. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a brief break. You're listening to Psych Up Live, and we're speaking with Dr. Ed Haas, his new book, Transformative Parenting, The Empowering Approach to Optimal Parenting and Personal Growth. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety
0: Channel. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
2: And we're talking about transformative parenting. We were just talking about, as parents, monitoring our attention, and we're going to talk about monitoring our emotions. Now, I heard you you say, Ed, that if you're looking at a cell phone, you may not be attending. But realistically, we can't attend 24-7. So, I mean, how do we balance other responsibilities and yet try to kind of live up to the attunement that we're sort of talking about today.
3: Mm-hmm. No, I mean I, I. I have to acknowledge that transformative parenting and you know is an ideal in a certain way. It's a, it's a, it's it's and because it's an ideal, it's unattainable. You know, there's there is no perfect uh, parent. There's there's no way to do this perfectly. We all are balan- are engaged in a constant balancing act of uh, responsibilities, in different directions. Now I. I do believe that yeah, it's important for people who undertake to be a parent, that they, they resolve or make a resolution, if, if at all possible, that, you know, parenting is the number one thing. You know, it's, it's the most important thing. It's how, how I parent and how my child uh, turns out and my child's well-being is, is the most important thing. You, you know, if you think about... Uh, you know what your impact on on the world and the universe. I think more than likely for most people, you know, you your impact on the universe is 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 going to be small compared to your 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 progeny. You know, your your children, your grandchildren. You know, going forward, um, and it's a very important task being a parent. And I think people undervalue it. Our our society undervalues it. Um, so I think you know, as much as people can consciously make the decision, you know, my being a parent is is maybe the number one important thing. The rest of it, you know, I do the best I can. Um, and and to a certain extent, you know, we we're stuck. I mean, we have to make a living. Who those of us who you know single parents, um, uh, and and you know, we have to decide. Like, is I have to provide for the security of my child. I need money, I need to make money, um, I need, you know, everybody's human, we need to, you know, take care of ourselves, uh, you know, we can't be 24-7 devoted to another person. Or even focused on a particular thing 24/7. It's just not uh, possible for a, mm. for a, a, a human being. So, so I have to acknowledge first of all that you know there are going to be breaks. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be problems and issues that come up where you know we can't, as you say, attend 24/7 to our child. But we can, mm. you know, a lot of us can do better. Put it that way. Mm. We can. We well, can. We make the right decisions about it. But, but go ahead. Well,
2: yeah. well, since we all. Or well, most of us have some criticism of of our own parents. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, right or wrong, one of the things that that this philosophy does is really raise our consciousness about okay, what exactly is happening in my head, what's happening in my feelings, what's happening with my kids. So as you say, we're not perfect, but at least we're in the game. Um, mm-hmm. Because when you mm-hmm. when you hear your parents' words coming out of your mouth, you know, mm, okay. There's an so,
3: autopilot there, right? That's taking. Right, right.
2: Mm -hmm. So, one of the things that you you speak about is two steps for this um, transformative parenting. And the first one I really related to because it was monitoring your own emotions. Mm -hmm. And when you think about screaming out no to a little one, I think you describe a scene in the book where, let's say a little one is, is just put drawn all over the wall. Well, to that little one, there's crayons, there's a white space. Go for it. Mm-hmm. So when we come in the room screaming no or oh my God, mm-hmm. uh, they don't know what they did wrong. They are just sort of frozen. If you really, as you invite us to do, stop and think, how would they know that that wall isn't the perfect place? Mm-hmm. And so the the question is very often, at least our, in terms of myself, I remember the times when I would be maybe most restrictive or say, no, no, my God, no, don't, do that. would be driven by my own anxiety. Mm-hmm. So two Absolutely. questions, and one is how do we start to look at that, and the other is do we get redos in this once mm-hmm. we've screamed no? Where do we go from
3: there? mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Good question. So, yeah. So in the, you know, it, it is a difficult issue. You know, monitoring your emotion, I think, is a is a step, is an exercise. So, so if we as we're going about our lives and 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 connecting and we're with our child, if we kind of keep a, pers- a sort of part of ourselves, an observing part of ourselves that is is kind of watching our emotional uh, 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 you know our mood and what where we are, it it helps. It helps in a lot of different ways. but um, it, you know when we find ourselves being triggered, first of all, we can recognize quickly, um, that we are angry or that we're about to, you know, some charge has taken place and we're, we're at risk of, of doing some damage, you know, emotional damage, um, uh, lashing out, um, you know, making a blow to the your, your child's self-esteem or whatever. Um, and, and we're able to sort of, if, if we're able to nip it in the bud, and that takes practice, um, then we can, we can, we can, also work on, well, how do we handle the sort of physical symptoms that, that come with that, the sort of uh, tenseness in our body, the, uh, you know, the stress in our chest. Uh, what I found is that, you know, emotion is actually, in large part, a kind of a ramping up of physical uh, symptoms or, or signs that occur. So you, you get the, the way you recognize being angry is that you feel the tenseness in your body. So there's a certain tenseness in your body, a clenching in your throat, a clenching of your fists, a raising of your voice. Um, and that's how you know, first of all, that you're angry. It's it's often that the sort of emotional piece of it uh, is you only recognize later. If you can learn to sort of be attentive to your body's responses, um uh, and you know, mindful of your body and where it's tense and not tense, uh, it can help you recognize your anger and kind of nip it in the bud early. So there's mm. certain things I talk about in the in the book about how to go about that sort of my, your you know the mindfulness thing that you mentioned earlier, and and also sort of physical relaxation techniques and practices that help you uh, become more attuned to your body sensation. I think a lot of people have and uh, lost touch with what it feels like, you know, what exactly happens in my body when I get angry or I get tense. Mm, nice. And and they lose awareness of that. And so there are ways, exercises, practices you can do to kind of retune yourself and also to take control of this cascade of reactions. So when you feel yourself tensing up, you don't respond, well, I'm getting angry, and then you get frustrated because you're angry, and so you get more tense, and then you get angrier. Uh, and and um, you can sort of nip it in the bud and say, well, okay, I'm going to relax my muscles and they'll relax, and then you become calmer. Mm. And uh, so that's a that's a a, a process that uh, and a, and a, and so it's an exercise. It's something that you practice, knowing that you're not going to get it perfect, and sometimes you're going to get angry. But the more you do the exercise, the 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 better you are at at sort of controlling your anger when you you do feel it. Getting it under control and and nipping it in, in, in the bud, sort of before it happens, even eventually. So that's that's um, it's what? a process, and we can't, you know, I don't expect we can't expect people to, to know it just a priori because it's not part of you know what we normally learn. It's not part of our school.
2: Well, know. one, I think there are two things that you mentioned in this regard in the book that it seem like good strategies, and one is. The whole idea when you, you're starting to feel very negative or you realize you've been negative is to really rethink, pause, rethink what what's really going on. Is Has my child done something or is this really got to do with my own fear, my own expectations? Mm-hmm. And the more you keep in mind, well, would this little one really have known that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, someone told me the story that still is with him of being... A little one, maybe he was five, his father decided this was the ripe time for him to know how to skate on training skates. Mm-hmm. Now, so he brings him to the ice ring. Of course, the kid can't skate. Mm-hmm. And so the child falls and the father's angry and mm-hmm. says, take the skates off, we're going home. Well, he said it just stayed with him, the, the unfairness of it. Now, mm-hmm. you know, we all have crazy expectations as parents, but so mm-hmm. the whole idea of, Every time you do feel negative to think for a minute, and I think you can do it hopefully before, but even after, was this really about what I expected? Mm-hmm. And how can I now hug my child, hold my child, you know, reconnect with physical attunement if I didn't do it with psychological attunement? Mm-hmm. So, so that you, I think you can do repair, but what you're mm-hmm. suggesting in the book for parents to do is use that negative feeling as a cue, wait a minute to take a moment mm-hmm. or rethink after the moment, how can I repair and what was this really about? Because I think, as you said, no one's perfect, but if we have some strategies that we start to practice, we develop a new repertoire with how to react.
3: Right. I mean, there's so there's two pieces to it. There's the, the piece of, you know, how do we get better and better at sort of nipping this stuff in the bud, and sort of seeing, recognizing our, through our own uh, physical sensations um, where we're being triggered by some belief or idea that we had um, that is that is incorrect. So I think what it what so what this what these anger feelings or fear feelings uh, teach us is that we have an expectation that is not being satisfied. That is, um, and so we look, we can we can use that and say, well, is this, as you say, is this fair? I mean, are, is this our expectation, um, and is this fair to put this expectation on our child? And to say, well, it, you know, because it's our expectation that, therefore, it's, it, our child should be able to do this X, Y, or Z. And if they don't, then, you know, they're defiant or there's something wrong with them or something like that. So, you know, that's the first step is, you know, and we can talk more about, you know, expectations and and developmental expectations around our children that are that are incorrect and and sort of out of out of whack. The other point you raise and the other good point is that if, you know, if we don't catch it in time, and we are angry, we do become angry, and we do lash out at our child, and we do something that's not, you know, how do we repair that situation? And I think that's a good, that's a good point, is to, you know, to be ready, you know, even after the fact, to recognize and pause and say, oh, wow, I screwed up there. And to be willing, and, and, and I, and I think the answer is to be willing to accept and, and to admit to your child that you screwed up. I think that there's a, and many parents have sort of, um, Absolute rule that you know the parents always right, and the child's wrong, and and they they kind of just kind of live life through that. But I think if we can recognize that you know we're wrong sometimes, and sometimes our child you know often most I mean, in my view all the time the child's just doing what they think you know what they right. understand to be the right thing to do, and if we get angry, it's really our problem, you know, basically a hundred percent of the time. And, um, you know, until they, you know, when they get older, it can be more complex an issue. But, you know, for, certainly for young infants, toddlers, uh, I think anger at a child is just, is just very out of place. So it teaches us something about ourselves. We have to look at that. But when mm-hmm. it happens, then we can go back and we can say, look, you know, I'm very sorry about what happened. I'm, you know, daddy messed up and I love you and you are right. And, and even if we say the words and we don't maybe even think they understand, I think children understand when you're you're being contrite and you're trying to make yes. up. And uh and I think that's the thing to do is to mm. help them see you you know be willing to be a human being and not, you know, pretend to be God. Um and to see that you're working and you you value them and you and you want to do the best you can for them and that sometimes you screw up and 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 sometimes, you know, life is just hard and you can't, you know, there's no, you know, it's not like even you did anything wrong. But, you know, sometimes you can still, you know, be there with your child and um, and, and commiserate with them and, and acknowledge that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I did that and I was wrong and um, I love you, you know, hold them, yeah. that kind of thing. So
2: I, I think I think. Children of any age get that feeling. I think partners, when they do it with each other, really, you know, um, ensure a sense of trust and respect. So, you know, it's a piece of being with other people that I think is incredibly important. Hmm. Just, now we, just so, so that we even introduce it, um, the other main practice that you talk about that I'm sure people are a little bit maybe confused about uh-huh. is you talk about the importance of maintaining a child's maintaining an illusion of omnipotence. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that, Ed?
3: Well, it's a it's a it's a gift, I guess, to put it that way. It's a it's, you know, Winnicott, who's a famous uh, psychoanalyst from the past, wrote about um, you know, the good enough something called he called the good enough mother, and I think that phrase has been sort of has been bastardized and and altered to mean like well whatever the whatever happens is fine, and whatever the you know mother or the parent does is fine, the child'll turn out okay, and it's good enough, but really, if you read his writings, he talks about providing uh, uh, an infant with this this sense of omnipotence, and I think people do get confused about it or they put value judgments on the word or whatever but First of all, you know, recognize what omnipotence looks like for an infant. For an infant, omnipotence is you know when they're cold, they they get warm. When they're warm, they get you know clothes taken off. When they're hungry, they there's a nipple there. When they're feeling uncomfortable, they get changed. When they want to be held, they're held. I mean, it's not it's not um, you know anything that's impossible to do if you're attuned to a child. This is, it, but it gives them the feeling that you know. I'm powerful. When they see a glittery object across the room, suddenly they're transported to the object, or the object appears in their hands, and they can put it in their mouth and check it out. Um, that's omnipotence for an infant, and and uh, and it's a wonderful gift because it sets the stage of I think laying the sort of foundational beliefs about the world, and that I'm okay in the world, that I you know what I want and what I uh, feel are okay. Um, and that's what, you know, laying this foundation of, of providing this illusion of omnipotence for a child um, gives them, is this foundational belief that the world is a good place, that I'm safe here, and that I have power here. And then mm. all the rest of it can sort of build up around that. You know, all the things that you learn about this and that and the other thing, and what all the rules can be built on that foundation, which, which, which gives... You know a lifelong sense of confidence and security and uh, empowerment uh, that that people will carry on through the rest of their lives we're going have
2: to we're going have mm-hmm. to take a brief okay. stop, but I, I I love what you're saying. I want our listeners to I want to underscore if a, if a child feels they've been loved and respected, they're going to go out thinking. I can do it. The world's going to embrace me. And that's what you want. You want children mm-hmm. to feel the courage to take risks. And that all starts with that first sense of being responded to. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. where he here with Dr. Ed Haas. we talking about concepts of transformative parenting, a philosophy that invites you to grow alongside your child. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus. Creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18.
1: Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move.
2: About transformative parenting. Before we go any farther, I know our listeners are going to want to read your newsletters. Are wonderful. I was just mentioning to Ed, he did a newsletter on being attuned to your children with whether they're hot or cold. I really blew this with my kids because I'm always cold. They still tease me about too <laughs> many sweaters, too many blankets. So, but what his, what's your website? Your newsletter site? How could they get the book, Ed?
3: Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, the website is www. .transformativeparenting.org so the org is important um, and if you go there there's a, you can click to get the newsletter, so it's a weekly newsletter that I send out there's, uh, there's some blog posts now with information about transformative parenting and also links to the book the book is available on Amazon uh, or through your local bookstore or through a, a special order so you just go in and ask for it and they should be able to get it for you um, so however you get about it I think the book is um, you know, really the best way it's, as, as, as I'm sure people can tell from, from the, the show so far it's a, it's a broad uh, expanse of, of information and the book kind of puts it all together now you, there's a lot on the website that I'm, I encourage people to look at and the newsletter I'll be uh, sp- um, sending out also so for people that, you know, that want to taste it uh, that's a good way to taste it
2: yeah, they're great. They're great ideas. So, I'm 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 thinking that we have some listeners who are probably saying, "Well, I I think I might want to try this attunement, but I have a partner who would not agree with this at all." Mm-hmm. And so, to that parent, what do we suggest? I guess we su- The question is to both parents: Where do we go with that?
3: Yeah. No. I mean, the book, you know, is. I mean, it's a difficult question. I mean, I, I do in the book, I say, you know, if you're dating somebody, please, you know, talk, start talking things through. I think we make the assumption when we're, you know, in love and getting married that, you know, you're thinking about getting married or we're, we're in love with this person. You know, love is a kind of idealizing uh, thing. We, we we tend to look at the other person as being perfect And we don't realize uh, going into it that people have widely different uh, past experiences in terms of how they were raised and how they were parented. And when when a child is then sort of in front of both of you, uh you know very often there are conflicts about how you know what do we do in this circumstance that circumstance depending and and our natural inclination is to just do you know what was done to us basically as children unless it was so horrible that we kind of you know re- do the exact opposite or something like that so it's it's a it's an important point and 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 once you're in that circumstance i mean all i all you can hope for is that your partner is willing to sort of uh, engage in the conversation and sort of understand at least where you're coming from and, and dialogue with you because it, it becomes about compromise. And again, there's this idea of, you know, how do we juggle all the different responsibilities that we have in, in our lives? And we have responsibilities to ourselves, we have responsibilities to our partner, and responsibilities to our child. And on and, and, and some level, we owe our partner, you know, respect, And, um, and, and it can be a very difficult, you know, a very difficult thing to sort of how do, how do you navigate? I don't have, I don't have a perfect answer for you. It's Mm -hmm. just a matter of, I think if you can, if you are coming from a place of, of respecting each other, and then you can both come to the, come to the point of respecting your child, um, and, and their development. I think it's just, it sets the stage at least for a compromise, uh, that is, um, is you know for a compromise and mm-hmm. and sort of like when you're going into a negotiation and the two parties are you know at each other and you know you can go to court or you can go to mediation and a good mediator will get together and say well okay you both have valid points of view and how can we you know get a, each person has some of what they need to get out of this and 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 um, so it's i think it becomes like that I, you mm-hmm. you hope that the other person through you know, through your arguments or you're talking with them or you're sharing, you know, maybe get them to read the book or whatever, that they'll come to understand your point of view. But, um, you know, if you're, you're already in a relationship and you're in a situation where somebody is adamantly sort of opposed to your belief, it's it can be very difficult, I think.
2: Yeah, I think it can be. I think one one interesting possibility, I was just thinking about it, <clears throat> is using, is the attunement to the child. So sometimes one parent is saying, he's six, he should be playing Little League. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mother's saying, I don't think he's ready for it. And mm-hmm. sometimes if if the child's given the opportunity, he or she will let you know, I don't want to do this, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. The whole question, uh, you do a really nice job in the book on developmental expectations. We, we think, and, and yet, you know, like, if they get a concept, that whether it's toilet training or batting, um, mm-hmm that they will have it the next day, but that's not how things go. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I think kids sometimes give you the answer, you know, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of whether or not they're ready to be in a big bed out of the crib because Mm -hmm. their behavior will almost tell both parents, listen, Mm -hmm. I'm not ready, or I am ready. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the parent who thought they should hold them back is wrong. Yeah. And actually, the kid was really was ready. Yeah. So sometimes watching, it, it's back to your idea of keeping your eye on this little um, enlightened person because they really do tell you if you watch them.
3: Right. No. Sometimes I can, you can, you know, be very surprised. at I've been surprised. I mean, it's it's a it's a challenge, and a and there is a certain, you know, when a child gets to be three or four, and. Um, and they, you know, the things—it becomes impossible to sort of sustain this illusion of omnipotence anymore, uh, because they want things that are just not, you know, you just can't give them everything. And it gets more complicated. And there's also this, you know, increasing ability on their part—they they are capable of doing things that, um, you know, maybe they maybe they could try and do, but I. I you know I agree with you I think following their you know it's always if you can follow their lead they will they will grow you know I think as fast as they can grow now sometimes challenges you know are okay I think in to my mind you know I'm on I'm on the other side of the pole there are parents who chant who who teach their children or or parent from a place of of providing challenges for their children, so their, challenge, their children are always challenged to do something that they they can't quite do, or if they've done it, then they have to, you know, they have to keep doing it. Um, but I'm again, I'm more looking at the emotional uh, uh, the emotional development and wanting to make sure that they have a feeling of security and empowerment. And and I think by if if you raise your child with constantly on a treadmill to the next challenge, the next challenge, the next challenge. I have, uh, you know, in my practice, a lot of patients who, you know, making millions of dollars a year, amazing, you know, but they're always, you know, they're always nervous. They're always anxious. They're always afraid, you know, that they can't sit still. They've got to keep doing the next thing. And they can never sit, really enjoy their life because they're constantly, you know, on this treadmill that they can't get off of. And uh, mm. so it's, an, it's, you know... I don't know if I answered your question. To be honest,
2: well, but well, if the if the definition of being lovable or being valuable is that you can take on the next challenge, you're never going to be comfortable unless you're in the midst of the next challenge. So, right. whereas I think what you're saying is, if you believe your essence is lovable uh, because mm-hmm. of who you are, because of your mm-hmm. curiosity, you you'll have you'll just work from a better core sense of uh, peace, and right. I think that with that comes success you know um it doesn't always, it's funny it doesn't always happen that the children who would challenge nonstop are the successful ones sometimes they're so burnt out by high school they're done
3: right so. and then what is success i mean we're being conditioned right. to believe in society right. that if we're you know not millionaires or we don't have the country home or whatever it is that we're you know we're not a success and and I think that's that. You know, we can we can learn to challenge that and say, well, happiness. You know, if we're happy and we're content and we have a nice life and we have enough, I mean, that's success. I mean, you know, for, it could, why not? You know, why do we have to live on this treadmill constantly to always, you know, be better than the neighbor or have more than the neighbor? It's it's uh, it's you know, it's, it's, there's a bigger picture that it all fits into, I guess. But uh, for me, I think you know, trying to. Raise your child so that they can they have a level of self confidence and self comfort and they don't have to be anxious all the time. I think that's a wonderful gift and, and I think transformative parenting can, can help them with that. So
2: well,
0: one, and, of the, you.
2: one of the things you embody, Ed, is giving your children the permission to change their mind. When people look at what you've done from um, meditation in Nepal to uh, Working as a chef, or working—I mean—the whole idea that in life we're allowed to change our mind is such a wonderful thing. It means nothing mm-hmm. has to worry us that much, um, yeah, and so you. It, it, it's great. Do you, now, tell us a little bit about uh, the question I wanted to be sure to ask is: with this little six-year-old daughter of yours now, so what's been the biggest surprise to you as a parent? What have sh- what has she taught you?
1: Well,
3: she's she's you know what what gets me is often she'll come up with these things that I, um, I'm i just kind of amazed at her insight. So um, she, you know, the other day, I mean, and it's always the last thing, so I'll just, you know, there's a, you know, these, a lot of these things have happened, but the last thing was we were we were talking, and she asked me, you know, Daddy, are we rich? And I said, you know, we're not rich, but we have enough, we have enough, you know, to, we're we're okay, you know. There's enough money. She says, "Well, I'm rich," and I and I smile and I said, "Oh, good. That's that's great." And she says, "And then said, were you rich when you were growing up?" And I said, "No, I was poor." And she says, "Oh, well, you're poor, and I'm rich." And I said, "And and for me, that was a real, you know, it taught me something about myself because that you know you look at it, um, and and I have to realize that I've been sort of shaped by my upbringing, and you know, I have a certain you know, way of, um, you know, I, like I have to do everything myself. I have to know everything myself. I have to, you know, I can't really feel like I, you know, can rely on other people. It's a little uncomfortable for me to delegate things and to hire people to do things. Uh-huh. Um, and that all comes about from, I think, growing up poor and having to do things, everything yourself and not having enough, really. And I and I, I feel at the you know i have to acknowledge that that has shaped me and she and it's amazing to me that she recognizes um uh these traits in me mm-hmm. and at the same time she feels wealthy and that that's okay. just a wonderful feeling for me that she feels yeah. that, you know she has she you know you know and i i think that's great for me that was a wonderful yeah. one wonderful thing that she taught me and and i learned about her which was gratifying
2: for me. Well, it also, she's so comfortable being different and she couldn't be cuter about the expression of it Mm -hmm. and the question and (laughs) she certainly feels free to be herself and ask the Mm -hmm. question and have her feeling. You know, we're going to have to stop. It's been such a beautiful show. I want to thank you, Dr. Uh, thank for For your contributions actually to parents and children, I encourage our listeners, the book is just wonderful. Many, many details, ideas, strategies, and the newsletter couldn't be better. So be sure to tune into that and register for that. I want to thank my listeners. You can hear this in any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, on the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes under Psych Up Live. Now next week, Be listening because Bruce Van Horn will be speaking about a topic near and dear to all of us. That is the problem of worrying. He's going to discuss his new book, Worry No More, Four Steps to Stop Worrying and to Start Living. Drop me a comment or question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please take care. Thanks and be listening.